Welcome to Nothing Makes Perfect, a podcast about practice. I'm Jeremy, and in this episode, I spoke with Ryan Fitzy Fitzpatrick. Fitzy's a friend from back in Boston. We've enjoyed duking it out on the spike ball field and geeking out about mobility and meditation. Fitzy's also been a client of mine and loves to pump me up, so you'll hear him try to plug a couple of things while I try to keep the conversation on track. Fitzy's been professionally slinging cardboard, as he calls it, for just under two decades. Instead of buying a boat, motorcycle, or hunting cabin, he's invested in fitness education and good coaching over the years so he can keep delivering. Now, just want to address the elephant in the room. I'm sure when I started a podcast, people expected to hear about handstands, juggling, weightlifting, circus, basketball, and more, but probably not driving. So two quick reasons why I was psyched to interview Fitzy. One, driving actually matters. Doing it well saves lives. Handstands, harder to argue that. And two, we love to see the outputs of movement. We see the kicks, jumps, lifts, twists, etc. But we often neglect the input. How we take in information with our senses is critical in any physical skill. It's just a bit more obvious in driving, where the output is sitting. You know, it doesn't look very exciting, but it is extremely skill-based as we have to take in lots of information quickly and then act on it. So, buckle up. I was really trying to avoid saying that, but here we are. I hope you enjoy. All right, Fitzy, welcome to the pod. Um, Other people won't know this, but we have recorded a conversation once before and uh, you know nothing makes perfect so the the tech overlords decided to make lots and lots of imperfect rain down upon us so thank you for uh coming back to get a little bit closer jeremy great to see you and uh, glad to be here so just a couple like background questions i'll introduce you in some way um probably talk more about spike ball than your actual work <laughs> that we're going to dive into but um <laughs> What do you do and for how long have you been doing it? Well, my big claim to fame is years ago, I was in the Jeremy Fine movement <laughs> uh, membership. Damn it, Fitz. Uh, as I've said to you, yes, as I've said to you before. But um, uh, I've been uh, uh, working for a delivery company for uh, 19 years and I've been driving full time, delivering uh, packages um, for a delivery company uh, for. At 16, going on 17 years. Um, so I'm a delivery guy. Um, a lot of parcels, um, a lot of hours of the day. Uh, so um, that's my full time gig. And as part of that, uh, as part of me trying to sort of support my body and myself in that gig, I, I consider myself like a student of fitness and strength and you know, all things, uh, movement just because I move so much and I would like to continue moving, um, in good ways to carry me forward and to keep earning a paycheck. So I'm sort of like a student of movement and, uh, and a delivery guy. Yeah. I would say you can take out the sort of, you're definitely a student of movement. We kind of connected on that side of things, um, mobility, strength, uh, meditation was another kind of shared interest that you've gone way deeper uh, down the rabbit hole than I have. But 
now that I have this podcast, I have the excuse to actually ask you about like your professional skill set, which we honestly hadn't talked much about because we have so many shared interests outside of that. Um, but I guess to start us off, like people generally assume that when you do something a lot, you get better at it. Like practice is usually good for developing skill. And you've been driving, like you said, 16, 17 years, just day in and day out. So from a, an ignorant perspective on my side of things, how do you know, hope it's not offensive, how do you know if you're good at your job? So the, the standard I use for my job is uh, at the end of the day, no accidents, no injuries. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's a, something daily. I mean, you can, uh, you, you can drive for many years and, you know, uh, like I have you know, 16, 17 years and still get in a really bad accident. Um, so it's really like a daily battle to try to um, stay safe and also, you know, be productive uh, so that uh, I can punch out at a semi-reasonable hour uh, mm -hmm. at night. So that's the the standard I use is um, no accidents, no injuries, punching out and going home. in In the workplace, we say that the the most important delivery stop is your last stop of the day, going walking mm -hmm. through your own door. And am I hearing you right that those two are a little bit at odds? Like if you try to rush to get done with the day sooner, you're increasing the risk of accident and injury? Uh, yes. So it's a, that's, that's the reason it's a constant struggle is because uh, we have productivity standards. Uh, and at the same time, um, you know, those standards uh, can be set so high that it's very unsafe to reach them. And you're tempted to cut corners. Mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, for example, speeding. You know, if you, if you needed to speed somewhere to deliver something, speeding saves time. You know, <laughs> no, no one's going to lie and say it doesn't. You want to get somewhere faster, you speed. However, it's unsafe and it puts you at astronomical risk. Uh, for an accident and it's also illegal and it's also not being a good citizen in a community. So all of those downsides, you know, counteract that pressure to be like, Hey, you know, like we want to be more productive. So that's sort of the trucking and the, like uh, the supply chain industry in general. Right. And since the pandemic, everybody's really come up against that is, you know, some major corporations um, that specialize in this, they'll have like, you know, next day delivery for literally everything. Mm -hmm. And that pushes the culture to expect something like immediately. And um, so there's cultural expectations. And it's, I consider it like my job to actually be uh, safe. <laughs> That's like the first and foremost thing. Um, and then, you know, I also, of course, want to be efficient. Um, and that actually, because I'm just like a rank and file employee, I'm just like a day laborer. A lot of that is beyond my concern, like the productivity standards. Mm -hmm. Like I, in my mind, I want to stay safe and I want to punch out at a reasonable hour, right? Like if I'm, you know, let's, if I waste 10 seconds 
at every stop and I have 200 stops, you can do the math. Now I'm punching out like an hour later, I'm eating dinner at like 11 o'clock at night. Like I do want to maintain like a reasonable day, you know? So what happens is the one thing that can protect you from, from rushing and uh, getting into trouble is like having good habits and having good work habits and driving habits. Um, because as soon as you have those, uh, everything else falls into place and you can have a better, safer day. Yeah. So we're already kind of segueing into where I was uh, hoping to go. The first thing in my uh, very official notes is why driving is a skill in the first place. Like, I think a lot of people listening will be like, aren't you supposed to talk about like handstands and juggling and backflips and just like these frivolous and very physical things. And then driving, it's like, okay, it's maybe we see it as more of like a cognitive skill. Like you need to use your eyes and ears and the actual motor movements aren't like fancy looking things you will see on social media. Like, wow, turning a steering wheel. And, you know, it's not the most exciting looking uh, motor output but you're already making it pretty clear that like there's a big difference between doing it well and doing it poorly, right? And you've mentioned having to take care of your body to do it. So I guess I, I no longer want to question like, is driving a physical skill? But maybe could you help talk about like what those habits are or what is the crux of driving well? Well, there are overall health habits like to have a, to drive commercially. And to have a DOT card, you have to pass a, in America, the Department of Transportation physical. So there is like a, a general health standard and they'll check your eyesight and your, you know, your hearing. But uh, there's also sort of training that we go through. And uh, a lot of our training happens sort of earlier in uh, the career. And then we, really try to maintain the knowledge of it throughout our career. And I think that goes in line with that whole idea of 80,000 hours. You know, if you do something for 80,000 hours, it's really ingrained. Um, I, I think I read that in a Malcolm Gladwell book. And I'm going to bring that uh, down to 10,000 for Malcolm Gladwell. 80,000 sounds... Oh, is it 10,000? What's 80,000 80, sounds... Is, it, is that the rule? Is it 10,000? So honestly, I have big problems with how he proposed it and i it's not a rule but i don't know if we want to get lost in that rabbit hole i think the point stands that like doing things over a long time makes you better at them but gotcha, yeah gotcha so 10, until thousand hours has something to do with practice according to malcolm gladwell and we'll save that for another uh soapbox gotcha so a large volume of time yeah and up until then, um, just like learning um, sort of habits of the road. So mm -hmm. uh, we're, you know, I'm, uh, I work for a, a large corporation. They train us in a method. There's lots of driving training methods. Um, and uh, one that's really well known is the Smith method. Um, people might like make it their own and call it many different things. But the Smith method, it's like just generally habits of driving you know and you can google that and the habits will pop up and then you know you can use an acronym and remember them and basically it's like a script that you can tell yourself um to be mindful of how you're driving 
So, um, you know, aiming high and st- they're just certain skills, aiming high mm-hmm. and steering, um, you know, getting the big picture, uh, keeping your eyes moving, uh, leaving yourself an out and making sure others see you like just general habits of driving that sound rudimentary but when you're busy doing a million other things those skills like can really get lost so the idea is that coming back to those skills and really working on them will be protective now they're not a golden shield right because when when you're doing anything i think like you're in like a cultural you're you're out in the world there's a million things going on but if you can sort of have those habits in mind, it's almost like a uh, you're stack. You want to stack the deck in your favor mm-hmm. as much as possible. So uh, having those good habits uh, helps that. So uh, you know we're as a professional driver, like we're trained in like methods like that, and then uh, you know I'll come back to them, you know whenever I whenever I can. Like if I'm feeling fatigue or if I feel my eyes lower. Mm-hmm. on the road or my chin droop a little bit i just go through that script and sort of remind myself um like how to drive so it sounds like you have an awareness obviously built up over a really long time of the signs that maybe you're not at your best you're not being like your most aware and and following those habits as well as you normally do and then it's like an internal script. You're like, okay, I got to remind myself. And you start going through them like one at a time. Uh, yeah, I use it as an internal script personally. Um, but uh, I think that also, you know, people could do it other ways. Um, once you s- have a lot of uh, time on the road or experience doing something, you see certain patterns and you see mm-hmm. things happen and that might trigger a recognition. So, you know, I, uh, the other day I saw, um, uh, a driver in a, uh, I was trying to make a turn safely and I saw a driver in the opposite lane coming at me, like do something extremely unsafe. And, you know, I was just sitting there not making a move cause I was in a safe position and I was watching what she did and I could tell exactly why she was having the problem she was. And I could tell exactly why she was a menace to society on the roads at that point at that point yeah and uh she didn't know why she was just living her life hunched over the steering wheel rushing on to the next thing but i knew exactly what was happening and how she could have changed it so it sounds like perception is like the the big theme here you're perceiving things earlier maybe more quickly and in the context of a lot more background experience than the average person right you're seeing it it's like a quarterback on a football field or something right you're reading things really well as they're happening ideally yes that's and you talk to any professional driver that values safety and they all want to buy themselves reaction time Mm -hmm. it's really scary when you see how quickly an, an event can pop up in front of you when you're going 60 miles an hour it's uh, sort of terrifying so the more reaction time you can buy now that's not always possible in in life but that's the (laughs) that's the goal (laughs) you know that's the that's what you want to protect 
One of the habits you mentioned that jumped out to me as interesting, I think you said leave yourself an out. Is that like like a backup plan? Like don't get too committed to one scenario? Uh, yep. Yeah, it's just basically having a plan B. So okay. let's say this might be, uh, people might recognize this a lot. Let's say you're in a situation where you want to park your car and there's uh, a lot of, you're in a like shopping area and there's a lot of places to park your car. And let's say you're in a brand spanking new car that you just drove off the lot and you want to protect that paint job and that clear coat, you know, you're also in a rush. So your first, you might want to just try to go right in front of the store, lots of shopping carriages, and there's also lots of people stopping. You're going to be frustrated. That's going to take time. Like that might be your first um, instinct. But then to, if you can leave yourself an out and have this idea of like, hey, there is a plan B, a plan C, and to have that at the front of your mind be like, well, let me just, you know, I'm going to be a little later, but maybe I'll walk more briskly and I'll park, you know, <laughs> with his literally nobody around me and I'm going to protect this brand new car's mm -hmm. paint job. You know, that's <laughs> like leaving yourself an out, you know, or like, um, you know, if you're tailgating somebody uh, on the right. road, if you're essentially outsourcing your driving to the person in front of you, you haven't mm -hmm. left yourself an out. You haven't given yourself a plan B you're going to do whatever that person in front of you has chosen to do for you. So uh, leaving yourself an out is having like a plan B. Yeah. So yeah, I think a lot of us non-professionals will drive around kind of uh, assuming like whatever is currently happening will keep happening or what's working will keep working. And you're pointing out like everything is constantly changing. And if you assume that something's going to keep happening and then all of a sudden the person in front of you slams on their brakes, you don't get to be like, ah, I really thought it was going to, you know, you're just, you have that split second to react and that's all you left yourself with. Yes. And this is the problem with uh, the self-driving cars, which mm. uh, I've seen do really well on the highway, but I've seen them get into awful situations in like uh, off the highway where there's more variables and where people's behavior is not as reliable. Um, because there's just, uh, you know, a million things can happen in a public right of way. And when people have the right of way, they own the right of way. Like you can't really change that. No algorithm can change that. You have to respond to it. So um, there's definitely a perception issue involved that happens within a cultural context. If you go out to the supermarket before the Super Bowl, right before the Super Bowl, you better be prepared for it to be jam packed <laughs> as opposed to going out during the game. You're mm -hmm. going to have a breeze going through those aisles. So there's a cultural perception that has to happen. There's a lot of factors that go into it. What would they call it um, in the, like in the fitness industry and in like the medical industry, they have a word for this. Um, there's like a, you can see things from a socioeconomic cultural perspective. That um, sounds good to me. Yeah. 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 Rather than just, you know, uh, in one way. Yeah. That's interesting. Like there's the physiological perception, like your eyes need to be able to take in visual information if you're going to drive safely. 
but you're pointing out that there's a much bigger story when you're on the road and you probably start to develop awareness of like what a rushed person looks like. And, you know, you can start to like read emotions of other drivers and um, weather obviously is a big one, but there's so many different things happening that like visual acuity or whatever, you can't just like measure someone's eyeballs and know how aware of a driver they'll be because there's so much else going into it. Uh, yes. And, um, you know, I, I, as you mentioned that, I think of incidents, I mean, I, this doesn't happen to me frequently, like on the job, but just in general incidents of road rage, you know, when somebody's having an incident of road rage, it's not like a driving issue. Like there's mm -hmm. <laughs> like so much has gone on to lead to an, inc uh, uh, an incident of severe conflict that, um, you know, now you don't need driving skills. You need de-escalation skills if you want to continue on your day. Um, or, you know, maybe you need escalation skills. I don't know. I don't know how anybody <laughs> wants to live their life, you know, but, <laughs> um, you know, there's, there's a whole context of things. I mean, really when I wake up and I check the weather, um, that's sort of like the start to the day, you know, I mm -hmm. can tell what it's going to be like. So, I think most most people will think of driving as functional. It's like this big buzzword in the fitness world, like functional fitness, functional movement. But again, we can like kind of table the the drama of that conversation for another time. But driving is kind of the definition of it. Like most people are driving to get from point A to point B. It serves a function. Whereas again, mm -hmm. like handstands, juggling, whatever, they might give you some you know purpose, something to practice. They might give strength or coordination or whatever, but they're in the moment, they're not serving a function beyond the practice. So mm -hmm. most people aren't going out on the road to get better at driving. They wouldn't consider it like driving practice or to have fun, right? Like I, I go practice juggling to have fun. I don't go driving to like have a grand old time, right? I just need to go to the store or wherever mm -hmm. I'm going. Mm -hmm. So... Do you think like, is it just an entirely different mindset and you can't really like a, I'm picturing you, the professional talking to someone listening who's like, but so what kind of like, how do you, how do you bring that mindset of making it a practice to something that people see as so functional? Yeah. Well, I think that anything functional is purposeful, right? So, um, driving is indeed purposeful. Uh, even people who are just need to blow off some steam and like, they just want to zone out on the highway. Mm -hmm. Like that is like the purpose, uh, is, Hey, I just don't want to think and turn my brain off and dissociate. And that is, that is definitely one way to drive. Um, you know, it's normal to dissociate while driving, but it's not normal to dissociate to the point of not being safe. Like you want to try to bring your attention back to the road. And, uh, I think that people who um, understand uh, driving as as functional, uh, they get it, and they might only intersect with um, the difficulties in driving when something pops up, right? So mm -hmm. similar to if you know um, when you get an injury. You know, if you're 
let's say you're a runner and you're just a naturally a great runner and all of a sudden, bam, like your knee hurts. It's like, oh, wait, now all of a sudden it's in your dome. You're thinking, wait a minute, what's my stride like? It's like, should, right. should I should I stretch? Should I go to yoga? So that's because the purpose has been the, the functional purpose has been now sidetracked by the side quest. So I think that people who normally think of driving as like, hey, I just got to get in the car and zip to where I have to go. Like that's, you know, I don't make like a judgment against that, but that mindset is going to get interrupted as soon as something is introduced into that environment that is off the norm. Great. And yeah, so I really often make the comparison to uh, gun ownership. And it might sound a little extreme, but when you consider how a vehicle, I mean, you could vehicular homicide is, I mean, that happens like on the mm -hmm. daily. Um, those are, those are really big cars and trucks and getting behind the wheel is taking responsibility for that. And to be self-responsible is uh, for me, something important in life, something I strive to do more of. And, uh, uh I think that um, having, having the ability to drive with a little more intention, uh, is something that I really do, um, value in life, you know? Mm -hmm. So at this point, anyone who was tuning in to hear lessons on how to do donuts in a parking lot or, uh, like pursuing a NASCAR career or something is like, man, this, uh, this is really serious and not at all as fun as i was hoping for which i personally think is totally appropriate um because you're right i don't think it's extreme to make analogies to things that can kill people because driving certainly can and does all the time um but let's say we're now uh talking with someone who has kind of had that interruption like you said maybe like a sobering realization of uh an accident they were in or someone they know was in and now they're like, okay, well, I hope that doesn't happen again, but still it's mm -hmm. not really seen as this like skill set like we're talking about it. So yeah. maybe like Googling the the Smith uh, rules or something like that might be a starting point, but could yeah. you kind of introduce like a pretty simple accessible invitation to someone who's ready to take it a little more seriously as a skill? Uh, yeah, absolutely. So I think the word that just popped into my mind that we mentioned before is biopsychosocial, right? Mm -hmm. So looking at something from this whole holistic perspective, like I make my living on the road, you know, like I'm able to earn a paycheck and, um, you know, have food and shelter because that's my job, right? So of course I'm going to have a, a, a big safety factor. Um, you know, I do know people who you know, race cars professionally. Um, and they're, they're just amazing. Their cognitive skills, like their mm -hmm. reaction time, um, better than video game players. They're just amazing. Uh, not to mention the mechanics that go behind all this. So there's a lot of mechanics skill and technical know-how. Uh, so that's the way I'm coming at it, but there's, you know, driving, you can come at it like a, a bunch of other ways. Uh, we're not having even talked about motorcycles, you know, mm -hmm. and you could also, uh, uh, think about, uh, you know, airplanes, like any vehicle. I think that if you're just like a, 
a citizen who you know working a job like I am that doesn't have any driving training since you took the six you know at 16 years old you took the driving test I would google the smith method it's very accessible find a youtube um, video on it and you're going to look at it and you're going to think this is like so easy <laughs> like <laughs> these concepts are very vague like aim high and steering right like aiming high meaning just keep your eyes at the horizon level. But lo and behold, you're going to be like looking at the radio at some point, or you're going to be slightly tired, or mm -hmm. you just had a soda and your glycemic index is sort of trashed and your chin's going to fall. And that's the moment when you need to actually bring the habit out, right? Mm -hmm. uh, you need to get the, your chin up. You need to maybe do what what my union steward once called, uh, you know, like the one breath, he, my union steward was like, that's his biggest advice was he's like, guys, just take a breath. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, I call it the one breath meditation for that reason. Something is amiss or you're all messed up out there. Do the one breath meditation. Just take a massive breath in through your nose, out through your mouth. And then you can maybe go through one of the methods that you learned on that Smith driving video. Maybe you can, maybe the breath just calms you down. So you're not as reactive. And this is really simple advice <laughs> to listen to on a podcast and really hard to do repetitively. So, uh, you know, that's what I recommend is to, um, do a little research, but then pair it with the, the one breath meditation while you're in the car and uh, work on that skill. The one skill uh, I would love everybody to work on, um, I, I used to think it was like the, you know, leave yourself an out. Like it, if you can leave yourself a space cushion in front of your car, that just buys you time to hit the brakes. Like, you know, it's real. Our bodies are shockingly slow at reacting to yeah. an extreme situation. So I used to think that that was what I'd recommend to people, but I've been thinking about it since we last spoke and I've seen, I think we've all seen worse driving since the pandemic. Yeah. And I think that we're being retrained by our phones and computer screens to have less of a, a field of vision. I think our field of attention is in front of our noses. Um, and I mentioned this to the other guys, the other drivers, and and they they're like, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Sometimes I'll I'll look at other drivers on the road, and I'm you know, I'm guilty as charged. Like this happens to me too, and I I'm like, you know, my field my my vision is too close in front of the vehicle. I need to aim high in the steering and get a more broad based horizon view perspective. And I might call it something. I might call it like. Maybe like the TikTok, um, the TikTok stare. You know, sometimes like I'll see people in their car and I'm like, they have a TikTok stare. Like they're flicking on their screen. <laughs> like they're flicking through TikTok, but they're behind a 2,000 pound vehicle for God's sake. Can we please like have a broader visual field? Uh, so, so aiming high like and they're staring. They're waiting. Like the alternative, the TikTok stare would be. You're looking in one place and you're waiting for new visual information to come in. Like, oh, look, the road yeah. is changing. Oh, look, there's a car. Oh, look, there's a person. Shit. And instead, it's yeah. like, 
get the information as soon as you can. So if you look out on the horizon and you scan, you get it sooner. So you have more time to do something with it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's what I want for myself when I drive my own personal vehicle. I just want, Mm -hmm. you know, greater situational awareness and whatever your goal is in driving, whatever function or purpose you want your driving to be, if you have a greater situational awareness, it's just going to be better. It's just going to be absolutely better. If you want to cruise on the highway and zone out a little bit and just like feel the momentum of driving, if you want to get your kids safely to the Y so they can get to swim practice, just having greater situational awareness is um, just going to make you love it that much more and um, feel feel in control of a situation that you're not necessarily in control of, sadly enough, (laughs) but you want to mitigate all the risks in. Yeah. Closer, like a little bit closer to control would be nice. One thing I'm certainly not an expert driver, but, um, when I was a lot younger and, uh, maybe riskier or less, um, maybe I didn't value my life as much. Um, something that really helped me that a friend encouraged me to do was actually calculate the differences in time associated with speeding. So he went through the, he was maybe a more extreme case. He was like, as soon as we learned to drive, he would just speed like crazy and he thought it was Mm. fun and whatever. And then he, he's like a pretty math oriented guy and he did the math and he was like, I can go 20 miles an hour faster. And in this like 10 minute drive I'm taking, I'm not actually going to get to my destination. It's going to be like maybe a few seconds or something with like lights and everything. And if you just kind of think more carefully about it and actually calculate it, the speeding, it's not even the trade-off that we think of it as. It's like, but I have to get there. So I have to go faster, even if it's riskier. And in fact, you're not going to get there as fast as you think you will. Yeah. I mean, it's just not, uh, you know, it's just not worth the risk. I mean, it, but you know, the rule that, uh, you know, we try to follow is if you're going less than 30 miles an hour, you want to have a four to six second following distance from whoever's driving in front of you. Hmm. And you want to try to have like a 12 second I lead time. That's a, that's a lot. When you actually follow those, those rules, when you actually follow those rules, the other people in traffic will be furious at you because you're not taking up all the available space. They want to rush to take up space. They want to drive through you. They want to drive over you. They think it's their right to take up all the space in front of them. So there's an issue of you have a right of way because you're in a public right of way. And that's just people got to face that fact. There you are. <laughs> you, you, be, you belong there as much as them. If you're going over 30 miles an hour, six to eight seconds, I lead time to buy you some time uh, in stopping. And, uh, you know, speeding just makes that all harder. It just makes it a lot harder. Now, if your wife is in labor and you got to get to the hospital, <laughs> yeah, you're going to want speed. Like that's, <laughs> that's just life, you know, like, uh, but if you're just going to the store, it's just like, you know, got to leave earlier. You wanted to get this to the store earlier, leave five minutes earlier. <laughs> you know, like that's, it's sort of the sad truth. Um, and, uh, 
uh, you know, you just can't create time. <laughs> yeah. Wise words. <laughs> um, one other thing I want to ask you about is calibration. So in like the sports world, this might be uh, holding a tennis racket and kind of feeling the weight of it or swinging a baseball bat. And if you give a professional like different weighted objects, they'll probably calibrate more quickly and swing more efficiently with a newer thing than someone who's less familiar with the objects. And for mm. me, like when I drive an unfamiliar car, it feels like I've never driven before. I'm like, mm. all of a sudden everything feels like novel and I don't know if the thing is going to be where I expect it to be. And then it starts raining and I'm like, wait, where are the windshield wipers on this thing? Like, what am I doing? Am I the only one? Like, do you have that? Or are you like, no, I know how cars work. I can get in any car and I know how to drive it. Uh, no, no, I definitely have that. And um, I think it's just a function of cars nowadays where people designing cars want to just, they take away our connection to the vehicle. Like we used to, you know, manual transmissions, you used to have mm -hmm. a real connection to the gear ratio even. Um, and we don't have a lot of intuitive connection with our cars now. And I think that's why, you know, people who, who race professionally or mechanics who like build cars, they have a really good feel for all cars because they're always tuning them. Um, you know, it's, it's a, it's, a, it's a machine, um, like anything else. And yeah, I definitely feel the same way you do. I mean, I'll, you know, if somebody else drives my truck at work and they switch the seat settings up, I'm like, what mm -hmm. the F? Like, are you kidding me? Like, <laughs> now I got to get used to what the heck? And I'll like reset it, but I'll be like half an inch off and I'm all pissed. And, you know, hmm. it ruins my whole day. I would have expected there's like, off. <laughs> I would have thought there would be like a, a marker at your settings or something that, I don't know, it sounds like that shouldn't happen with your, your truck. <laughs> yeah, no. I mean, when I first started the delivery job that I'm in, I mean, we had our seats were made of just like wood and like some foam. They were, you know, sort of the older um, GMC model uh, vehicles, just heavy as a tank, awesome to drive in the snow, just four gears that were, you could just beat the crap out of just amazing vehicles. <laughs> uh, and you just really felt like you were a part of the vehicle and you felt it all the way up your spine every time you hit a pothole. So, <laughs> um, you know, those, it, it felt a little easier to get in touch with those vehicles, but, um, yeah, now there's just more options and yeah, it, it just takes longer. I mean, it's, it, I think that, when that stuff like that happens, it's nice to have, you want to be brilliant at the basics of driving, right? So, right. you know, you might not know where the cruise control is, but you know, you sure as hell know that, Hey, before I leave the parking lot, I got to know how the turn signal works. You know, when I rent a car, I do a full pre-trip on it. You know, uh -huh. I walk around, I, you know, adjust the mirrors, put it in gear. Um, when I rent a car, I'm in that parking lot for probably seven minutes, just getting adjusted mm -hmm. before I even put it <laughs> in drive and drive off that parking lot. Yeah. I mean, that's like the ultimate leaving yourself an out, right? If you get on the road with something you don't know how to use, then you're going to have fewer options when the time comes to make a decision. 
Yeah. If I, if I make a mistake on the road, I want it to be a really honest mistake. (laughs) So I want to do my due diligence beforehand. Uh, and, uh, you know, but once again, like that's coming from a guy where, uh, you know, I, I make a living doing this. If I didn't have a care in the world and I was just like, Hey, like, you know, uh, it's a rental car. Let's beat the crap out of this thing. And, uh, you know, uh, let's speed, you know, like it, it definitely, I have this, this mindset of, uh, geared towards safety. Mm-hmm. Um, um, I know we don't have a ton of time. Thanks again for making time on your day off. Um, do you have time for one more question that might be like a six hour rabbit hole we can just come back to, or it might be a relatively quick answer? Let's touch on it. Cause we can always come we'll back we'll in the, in the second hundred, uh, <laughs> Jeremy fine podcast. We can come back to this. <laughs> so, okay. This whole podcast is kind of named in response to the phrase practice makes perfect. You mentioned 10,000 hours earlier. We're generally under the assumption that if you do something a lot, you get better at it. With driving, I would argue practice doesn't seem to make anywhere near perfect, right? Like you can drive for three years, 30 years, a whole lifetime and drive pretty similarly and not get much better at it. First, I guess, feel free to disagree with that. That's kind of my observation, I guess. But if that's true, then like, what are we missing? Why isn't doing it more making us better at it? That's a a great question. And while you're asking, while you're asking it, I'm thinking if nothing changes, nothing changes, you know, Mm. like if, if I had never gotten a job driving for a living, I would never have learned certain habits. I would never, I would have no idea that I could apply skills and habits to driving. I would just be relying on motor learning. I think similarly, if I was a genetic freak and was just born super strong of hearty stock and I (laughs) barely needed to work out and uh, never had any pain, like I probably wouldn't know how to lift weights. I'd still be lifting weights like, uh, you know, just chest day and, you know, uh, you know, buys and tries, you know, curls for girls on Fridays. Like, you know, like I wouldn't need any uh, skill in weightlifting or, uh, strength training because I didn't need, I wouldn't need to change anything. Cause I, you know, knock on wood, I was born a genetic freak who is just super strong. That's not the case. <laughs> <laughs> I've had to invest a lot of, uh, time and money and great coaching and learning. Um, but I had to make that change. I had to actually say, Hey, I got, I'm going to take my money and invest it here and then invest my time here. So, uh, you know, if nothing changes, then nothing changes. There's a, there's a certain moment that you just commit to taking an action and learning something, and then you can go from there. Um, so I, you know, I was in the, I was in Jeremy's juggling club. Mm -hmm. That might've been like five years ago, you know, and I, didn't learn a ton of juggling then it was i think you were running it on a <laughs> you were running it on uh like a uh you gave the money to charity for that round yeah and it actually i didn't learn a ton of juggling but i learned something important about juggling <laughs> that made the learning process a lot easier so i actually took a step in juggling and you know if i hadn't done that i would just 
you know, be watching YouTube videos on juggling, not knowing anything, but I actually had a coach and I actually did learn something helpful about learning juggling. So wait, the um, people need to know what did you learn? <laughs> That's too much of a teaser. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah. Well, I learned to practice juggling over the bed. <laughs> so you're not bending over, picking up things <laughs> like your, your juggling training session will be 90% picking up At falling least. stuff unless you're over, unless you're over the bed, then you're good to go. Tip. It, and it seems so simple, right? But I, I've never thought about juggling, you know, I've never mm -hmm. thought about that at all. And you're like, you're just like, to your credit, <laughs> you made it seem like a reasonable, positive thing. You aren't like, dude, just go to your bed. <laughs> like, like, because I'm there in the living room spending an hour picking things up. And I'm like, this is frustrating as hell. And also, you're like, you're like eight feet tall. Yeah, yeah this is a mobility issue. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, and and you suggested that and coached it. I think you posed it as a question, and it was like light dawned on mar marble head, you know. <laughs> so that that thing changed, you know. So I think it, people, uh, myself included, you just get stuck in a rut, and it, it mm -hmm. also has to be important to you, right? Like we can change anything, but y you have to actually set the intention that. Hey, this is going to add benefit to my life to change. So that's really insightful. You know, yeah. Yeah. I think you pointed out like a few different examples throughout the conversation where, like, if something goes wrong on the road, if you have a, a really scary or negative experience, um, or, or let's say if nothing has gone wrong on the flip side, or if you're just really good at something and you don't need practice, you don't notice the need for it, um, or if you don't value it, if it's not important to you then you might not treat it that way. So I guess my challenge to anyone listening would be like, look for that, look for like the spark of a reason. Like probably mm. you have made a mistake on the road or you have seen something go wrong, maybe for someone else. There's probably some motivation out there for getting better at driving or doing it more consciously and just paying attention to that might be a good first step. Mm. Yeah, internalizing something as a value very powerful. Yeah. All right. I said I was going to let you go on time, so I have to let you go on time. Again, thank you so much. Um, hopefully this time the tech overlords are cooperative and the people we've been addressing this whole time will actually exist and be able to hear it. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> if not, I always love seeing you, bro. Always, always happy to, to speak with you. You too. You too.